Live and local on AM 770 KTTH. Your independent conservative host, Todd Herman, welcomes you to The Todd Herman Show. I also want to acknowledge that much of the violence and destruction, both here in Seattle and across the country, has been instigated and perpetuated by young white men. Think of our nation's problem as more like an apple pie with the racial injustice baked right into every aspect of our society. Today is, in fact, the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Times such as these, it says in the book of Esther. By my reading of the word, God was pretty happy with all the different flavors of human beings he created, and it was good. And yet, racism being installed in the minds of our kids. One man, I think, deserves massive credit for unveiling and fighting this at every single level. The left picked the wrong man to try to cancel. I said it at the time. Professor William Jacobson joins us. LegalInsurrection.com. Professor, it's been too long. Welcome back to the Todd Herman Show. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. And and feel free to speak as loudly as I do. I want everybody to hear your voice, Professor. Um, Okay. All right. Uh, You... So commonly, I read your site three to four times a day, and I've noticed your focus on critical race theory. I want to thank you for that. You took apart a piece of, well, some might say journalism, written by Alana Durkin Ricker for the Associated Press. She wrote, some Republicans claim the DOJ is treating Jan 6 defendants harshly because of their political views while letting people involved in violence during last year's racial injustice protest off easy. Our review of court records tells a different story. Um, Professor, I'm just going to shut up and let you just also dissect this for my audience. Right. Well, this was a classic example of comparing apples and oranges. There's two very different circumstances. uh, They did not try to compare the severity of the particular crimes, and they did not try to compare the uh, law enforcement effort. What you had with Black Lives Matter is only the worst of the worst uh, offenders, you know, people who set fire to police stations and things like that, being prosecuted. You didn't have everybody who was in attendance during a riot be prosecuted. But that is what you're having with January 6th. So for January 6th, you have some people who did commit violence, and I don't think anybody really is complaining about those people being prosecuted if they hit a policeman or sprayed a policeman in the face with maize or something like that. But you also have people who were merely there. You have people who were being prosecuted who were even never entered into the Capitol building. And that's the difference. So she's trying to say, well, the the punishments were just as bad for the Black Lives Matter protesters. But those are the people who actually committed violence. With January 6th, the people being prosecuted, and, and most of them haven't even reached the sentencing stage yet, are people mostly who did not commit a violent act. So it's completely comparing apples to oranges. Uh, There is no question that the effort made, and the feds acknowledge this, the effort made to prosecute anybody in any way connected to what happened on January 6th is extraordinary at the federal level. They have uh, an enorm. they're putting all their resources, they're asking the public's help to identify people. And again, nobody's complaining about that for the people who committed violence. 
But if you just happen to attend a protest and you're standing outside the Capitol and you didn't hit anybody and you didn't commit an act of violence, uh, you shouldn't be prosecuted for that. But people are being prosecuted. It would be the equivalent of everybody in the march at the Black Lives Matter protest being prosecuted because some percentage of the people committed violence. So it's completely apples and oranges. The, the uh, attempt to, uh, you know, destroy the lives of people who did not commit a violent crime. And of course, what the feds are doing, I was reading about one, I think it was a DEA agent who never entered the Capitol. Okay. And he's being prosecuted and they found a law to prosecute him that destruction to the Capitol grounds that he was standing on the grass and he somehow destroyed the grass. That's what they're prosecuting him for. You don't see that. You don't see that with the Black Lives Matter protests, nor should you. If somebody's just standing on the street, okay, protesting, <clears throat> they shouldn't be prosecuted. You shouldn't be looking for a crime, okay? Oh, well, you were jaywalking, so we're going to now <laughs> prosecute you for jaywalking uh, because you were at this protest. So it's completely disproportionate. The AP article was, uh, in my mind, completely intellectually dishonest. No, I couldn't agree more. Professor William Jacobson's with us, LegalInsurrection.com. It's a daily, it's in fact multi. I read it multiple times a day. I suggest you do the same. I would say this, though, Professor. I think you and I can both agree that it's incredibly, incredibly sad and tragic that uh, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter Incorporated, Patrice Colliers, is now imprisoned, one would say, in her $2 million home in Topanga Canyon, California, where she erected a fence to keep the hordes out. I feel so sad for her, given the view and the temperature and the neighborhood. I, I just shed tears. And uh, on that comment, I want to bring this back to the I want to ask you a lawyerly question. Professor, there were lawyers who followed Antifa and Black Lives Matter Incorporated around this country and were there to bail them out. Our Kamala Harris helped raise money for them. I've seen Rudy Giuliani disbarred. I've seen now people who made claims of election fraud that they're facing disbarment or at least censor. Is it okay from an, a legal ethical perspective to have groups of lawyers saying we are here to bail rioters out or even people who attempt to murder cops has happened in multiple occasions, night after night in Portland and, and sadly attempted to burn cops to death as well. What, what, what are the ethical implications of lawyers doing that for people? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, lawyers should be uh, protecting the constitutional rights of their clients. So if that what they're doing is asserting a claim that under the law, under the statute, under whatever it happens to be, this person is entitled to bail, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. The problem is it only works in one direction. Yes. Where are all these lawyers defending the people who merely were constitutionally exercising their right to protest on January 6th, but are now being prosecuted, now losing their jobs, now being hounded out of society. So that's the problem. The problem is not that <clears throat> lawyers defended the constitutional rights of Black Lives Matter protesters. The problem is they don't do that for other types of protesters. And so it's completely disproportionate. And we've seen, as I see it, a division where what I call the party, this is the technocrats and the leftists and Mockingbird media members all joined into what I have now labeled the party, have indicated you do the party's bidding. You can do kind of anything you want. We're cool with that. The media is cool with that. Certainly Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are cool with that. 
we'll let these things go as I see it. But if you um, dare challenge the party, the view, the, the view on the COVID or the view on critical race theory, the view on the election results, then we're going to punish you. And, and speaking of critical race theory, you have devoted a lot of resources at LegalInsurrection.com to really uncovering this. And we're going to take a traffic break here in just a couple minutes. So let me just start with, why did you take your estimable focus and, and the resources of the Legal Insurrection News Foundation, which, by the way, uh, to which you can make a donation, why did you decide to focus so heavily on critical race theory? Well, it really was an outgrowth of my experience at Cornell University, where I teach at the law school, where last summer, uh, in July, the president of the university announced that we were going to become an anti-racist campus and delegated authority to impose mandates on various students and faculty and staff. And I didn't really understand what that meant. So I started to read up on it, and one of the assigned books for the summer was Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. And so it was available free to people at Cornell. So I, free is free. So I read it and I was horrified. <clears throat> it is an explicit call for racial discrimination. It is uh, really a horrible, horrible book that distorts what society is. And so that's when I began to get interested in it. Um, I was going to write an op-ed about it, an article. We started to research it. I started to realize it was bigger than I expected. And then we rolled out, as you know, in February, a website called criticalrace.org, which organized all of our research about what's going on in higher ed. And at criticalrace.org, we have an interactive map that people can use. We have a lot of resources on K through 12, uh, as well as higher education. So I got interested in it because they forced me to be interested in it by <laughs> making it a focus on the campus. <laughs> As I've said that with you, you you brought us Nicole uh, Silas, who fought back in Rhode Island. You now have school. You know, what was it? The unions tried to sue her. She slapped back at them. They're trying to get out of this. You brought us to this. They picked the wrong professor. They picked the wrong woman in Rhode Island. Let's continue to talk about uh, criticalrace.org and the resources there and what's actually getting done right after we check traffic with right way traffic. Professor William Jacobson is with us, LegalInsurrection.com, CriticalRace.org. And, Professor, we can, I think, agree that there are forces within the United States, powerful forces, and I'll name them. Uh, for instance, um, Frances Fox Piven. I watched a recent video of hers. She's still very, very excited about overloading American systems. She's one of the co-authors of the Cloward Piven strategy. She's very, very desirous to see our prisons overloaded, et cetera. And she speaks the language of a woman who wants to see the country toppled. We see the efforts to defund the police bearing fruit in, in my hometown of Seattle, where we've seen record level homicides for two years in a row. We had a 2000 percent increase in sex trafficking, property crimes. Cops now literally cannot pull over someone driving a stolen vehicle. They can ask the person politely to stop, but they don't have to. They can't incarcerate people who are who are going to later go burn down buildings, as has happened twice in Seattle. So we see the fruits of all this. I think we can agree there are people who want the country toppled. My question for you is, with CriticalRace.org and what you're looking at, these great resources, how many people in academia are are actually aware that this that critical theory and by extension critical race theory is in fact a tool of destruction versus people who just think it somehow makes sense? I'm not really sure. I think that most people think it just sounds good. 
Okay, equality. I'm sorry, equity. That's the word, not equality. <laughs> equity. <laughs> no, what's right, wrong yeah. with equity? Equitable sounds like equality. What could be wrong about that? So I think most people don't give it a lot of thought. I think even a lot of the activists have, have really, you know, they drank the Kool-Aid. They actually believe this is a good thing. But those who I think promote it the most, uh, you know, the Ibram Kendis of the world, all those sort of people, I think they know exactly what it is. Okay, they know exactly how destructive it is. The the leading theorists and practitioners know exactly what it is. But most people just look at the words equity sounds yeah. good, you know, fairness, uh, you know, all those sort of things. But you're absolutely right. This is a tool to tear down society. That is the goal of it. Of course, they don't. And what will replace it is going to, of course, be worse. It always is. And so it's a complete distortion. It's an attempt to uh, institute perpetual racial conflict as the driving force in our politics. And I can't think of anything that would be more destructive for our country to move in that direction. I mean, what could be worse for our country than to teach kindergartners that the single most important factor in their future is the color of their skin, that the single most important factor about their schoolmates are the color of their skin, that the, you know, country is irredeemably racist and bad. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, an attempt to undermine our society and tear us down. And they're having some success. Oh, they are. And if only there was a historical precedent for racial scapegoating being bad. But uh, alas, there is no historical precedent for that, of course. Um, and, and Professor, at, at criticalrace.org, you have these resources and the maps, et cetera, the heat maps. I want to ask you, there's the heat map. There's the big picture. You guys have tracked this story by story. Um, I get notes from people, for instance, I get notes from people um, in South Dakota who say, you know, thank goodness this stuff isn't here. And, you know, I'm broadcasting today from North Idaho where I've been living, and I think you know that. Um, I get people saying, well, we're so glad critical race theory isn't here. Is there a place in the country near as you can tell um, that, that has immunity to this? And, and are there places in the country where it doesn't exist or places where the left doesn't want to bring it? Well, I, I don't think there's any place where it doesn't exist, but there's it depends on whether it is government sanctioned or not and government promoted. So it is in many of the blue states. Uh, it's not in many of the red states, Florida being one that jumps to mind. Um, I consider Florida now basically a red state or reddish state. Uh, so it varies. But the problem is teachers want to push it even when the school district doesn't necessarily embrace it and when the state doesn't want to embrace it. There have been a couple of those incidents that have been on TV the last week uh, where teachers have taken it upon themselves. I forget where the person was from, but there's that Antifa guy who bragged that he had X number of months to turn these students into revolutionaries. Uh, so there are teachers who are pushing this. And what we have found is that the teachers are some of the most aggressive uh, proponents of this and the teacher unions. If you, you know, for, for months and months and months, the National Education Association said, oh, this is, you know, a Koch brothers, dark money conspiracy. Critical yeah. <laughs> race is not really being taught in the schools. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, a month ago, they announced it is being taught in the schools. We support it, and we want it in 
every <laughs> of the 14,000 school districts in the country, and we're going to put our $350 million a year budget behind it. So how quickly it went from it's not real, it doesn't exist, it's not being taught, to yes, it is, we support it, and we're pushing it. Same with the American Federation of Teachers uh, for months and months and months. It's not being taught, it's not real. And then they come out and they say, well, we're going to pay for lawyers to defend the teachers who are teaching it. So how is it that you have to hire lawyers to defend the teachers who are doing it, but at the same time you say it's not happening? So it is happening everywhere. It's being pushed by individual teachers. It's being pushed by the unions. Even if the governmental entities, the school board, the town council, the state education department have not embraced it or against it, And that's why parents need to be vigilant, Uh, and that's why I am a huge supporter. If state governments could do nothing else but pass transparency laws, require the curriculum to be posted online, require the school assignments to be accessible to parents, uh, give parents a right to visit classrooms and observe, If, if transparency will solve a lot of this problem, because one of the big problems is that parents don't know what's going on in school. I heard somebody use this explanation. You know, it used to be a generation ago, you would bring your textbooks home and you'd bring your written homework assignments home if you're a child and your parents could see it. They could see what's going on. That doesn't happen anymore. It's all being done by computer and it's all being done online. And parents have no clue what is happening. If they knew what is happening in our schools, there would be an uprising by parents around this country that would make what's going on now seem like child's play because in some school districts it is truly horrible what they are doing they are racializing absolutely everything and when you point that out what do they say oh well that's not critical race theory they want you to engage in this extended discussion about what is critical race theory let me tell you something if they're um telling white kindergartners they have white privilege if they are telling black kindergartners that they are perpetual victims and that they, they can never achieve success in this, in this society. If those are the things they're teaching, if they have privilege wheels in their kindergarten classes, <laughs> they're doing all those things. They're doing critical race theory, whether they put a name on it or not. You will never find a fifth grade book called critical race theory. You will find euphemisms for it, equity. You will find euphemism of anti-racism, which is the Kendi term, which is a completely deceptive term the way they use it. Anti-racism is actually the opposite of what we would think of as anti-racism. So uh, it is there, I guarantee you, in your school system. The question is, are you able to find out about it? And transparency is the key. Absolutely. And this is why I've said, for me, my view on the schools is I don't need to be extended an invitation to go see what my kids are being taught. I'm going to go in. I don't need to be extended an invitation to see the curricula. I will have my kid take pictures of it and send it to me. And this is where parents are at and what we need to do. It's been an honor to have you. It's criticalrace.org, also Legal Insurrection. Professor William Jacobson has been with us. The Legal Insurrection News Foundation does take donations and operates that very responsibly. Professor, um, as always, it's an honor. Thank you for being a happy warrior. And go with God's good grace, sir. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Todd Herman show will continue after we check traffic with the right way traffic.